Welcome to another episode of the Fair Game Podcast. I'm Andrew Haynes, and uh, today we're going to be talking a little bit about design. And we've got two guys to, that kind of like represent that. The first one is going to be Nick Mulford, the founder of McKenzie Golf Bags. And the second is uh, Rob Collins from King Collins, a firm that's building some of the newest golf courses on the market today. So let's hit it. Just to get things rolling, I'd love to just, you know, do a soft introduction. I think sometimes when people have, uh, you know, how you get into the game, but then also how you get into the game as a profession versus just as a hobby, sometimes those things run parallel. Sometimes they're different. Uh, would love to hear your your stories in terms of how did you fall in love with golf and then how did it turn into something you do to, to pay the bills? Who wants to go first? Go ahead, Nick. Yeah, so uh, my name's Nick Mulfler. I uh, own McKenzie Golf Bags, and you know, golf's big in my family. My dad, uh, late grandpa, a bunch of my aunts and uncles are big golfers. So grew up playing junior golf and all that, and uh, then played tennis in college actually. Um, and then it was kind of after college that I got bit by the golf bug, so to speak, and um, started playing a lot more and. Uh, that was right about the time that uh, my family had an opportunity to invest in McKenzie Golf Bags, which uh, has been here in, in Portland since the mid-80s. It was started by uh, Peter Jacobson and his brother David and kind of has a cool storied history. And it was just a fun opportunity as I was finishing up school and kind of had a peaking my interest in golf and to kind of uh, try and grow this business and it's just really fun to have a, you know, have such a, a big personal interest be a way to make a living. That's a, a pretty cool and fun opportunity that I'm, I'm grateful to have. So been at McKenzie for going on six years now, and we've been experiencing some success the last few years. So everything is, uh, is good. I feel, I feel blessed. That's awesome. What about you, Rob? Well, uh, my name's Rob Collins. I'm, uh, with King Collins Golf Course Design. I founded that uh, firm along with my partner, Tad King, about uh, 11, gosh, no, 12 years ago now, 11 and a half years ago. Um, we're a design build firm, so we do both. We design and build golf courses. And uh, just a quick recap about me. I Golf was sort of an afterthought for me growing up. It was, you know, fourth or fifth on the list of sports I played. And then I, it's slowly started making its way to the top of sports I enjoyed and towards my late late teens early 20s I became you know heavily interested in the game uh, thanks to a close friend of mine uh, and, and made a trip to uh, St. Andrews in, in Scotland with him when I was 19 and that really changed my whole perspective on the game and um, kind of began an early interest in golf architecture and then I just uh, eventually transitioned that into, I went to graduate school at Mississippi State with uh, with the intention of getting into golf architecture and, and I got a degree in landscape architecture that kind of helped me work my way into it. And and, uh, and it's just kind of built from there. So it's been sort of one, one step at a time, but I've been, been in it now for about 20 years. And I think the way things are going for us now, it just, it sort of, I finally feel like we're where I wanted us to be. And it just feels great. I feel really um, happy and fortunate to be doing what I'm doing. That's awesome. Can we take a, a quick moment to talk about St. Andrews? Cause I, so I was able to, to go, I won the lottery and I got to play 
And I feel like when I was actually playing it, I was so like in shock of this is happening. So I, I honestly don't really remember what like I, it just like my brain was just in that like weird space. Uh, Rob, for you, what was it from that from your experience there that that like something snapped or something changed for you? Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned that. That my brain was kind of doing the same thing. I I kind of you know, was basically freaking out on the first tee, and then you know, kind of freaking out for the first few holes. And then we went along for a little while and kind of get into a rhythm. And then the caddies would be like, oh, you know, this is the hole where, you know, the, the 1930 Open Championship, Bobby Jones did this or, <laughs> mm-hmm. or whatever it was. You know, they're just like, oh, my God, I can't believe I'm here. And it's <laughs> cold water in the face. And um, But as far as uh, the golf is concerned, it was just so different um, from anything that I'd ever seen in america it was so refreshing uh the way people played and seeing balls bounce along the ground and you know the boldness of it the quirkiness of it there was just a a stripping away of the self-imposed rules that you often see in modern american design um that was was absent there and there was just a kind of a flair and a uniqueness and an authenticity and and a quirk to it that it just it presented golf in a way to me that was in a completely new light. And I just got this really weird, insane feeling basically that I wanted to be a golf course architect, but I didn't even know hardly what that was or how you'd even go about doing that. So that was just sort of the seed that was planted. That, that's so cool. Like Nick, for you, when it comes to making bags, was there a, obviously there are lots of, of pieces with both, both of what you guys do in terms of making things. It's their sourcing of materials and, you know, what is the shape of this and the actual construction and the prototyping and manual. There's lots of pieces. Was there a moment for you where you were like, Hey, like, I, I love this. I love this specific part and I want to see it all the way through. Like, what was, what was your moment? That's a good question. You know, I think we're fortunate that like a lot of our inspiration comes from our customers because we kind of have this like, blank canvas or silhouette of a golf bag that we've had for 35 years. You know, we get Mm -hmm. asked a lot, like, do you have any new products or what's new? And it's kind of a difficult question to answer because to a certain degree, everything's new. Every project is different and people have the ability to kind of color the canvas the way they want to. But on the other side of that coin, the product has, you know, been refined over time, but it really hasn't changed like the you know, to the untrained eye, a bag from 1985 or a McKenzie from 1985 looks, you know, strikingly similar to what we're making today. So, um, yeah, I guess uh, early on in the business, just uh, seeing people's excitement when they are presented with, you know, kind of this cool opportunity to design a bag with one of us and understand what the options are. And maybe they have some idea that we haven't tried before and we get excited about figuring out a cool and effective way to um, kind of implement their um, ideas and make it a reality. So that for me is the most fun part, you know, helping people kind of design their own and then seeing the reaction when it shows up in the mail. Right. There's nothing better than when the new golf thing shows up. That's for sure. We all know that. (laughs) Definitely. Rob, you said something a little while ago that I did see on just on your company's website where you guys have some, you know, core philosophies where you operate and and run your business by, which I think is really awesome. Uh, But one of them was this notion of just bending, breaking, and destroying rules. Um, And I think for me, like, I consider myself to be somewhat of a novice when it comes to 
golf architecture and design. You know, I play with some buddies and we're, we're walking down the fairway and someone starts throwing out names like Doak and Tillinger. And I'm like, I've heard of them, but I kind of don't really like no, no. Um, but my understanding of that is there is some there is some breaking of traditional design approaches and whatnot that you guys might have in, in, in part of how you operate. Like what, what does that idea mean to you guys of, of breaking and destroying rules? Basically what it means to me is, is like a lot of modern American design um, architects would, would come to a site and they would have a, a list of self-imposed rules that, that they placed on themselves. For instance, you know, you have to, have total visibility of the landing area at all from the tee. You have to have to be able to, um, you know, all, all greens have to be receptive, meaning they have to all, you know, break from the back to the front. Um, all mm. hazards have to be visible. Um, you know, the, these kinds of things. And those are simply self-imposed rules that have absolutely nothing to do whatsoever with with the roots of the game and and, and what golf is and, and what those kind of rules do is is they they limit you and they limit your creative process and and oftentimes um breed a sort of an artificiality um to, to the look and feel of the final course because sometimes a green may want to tilt away or maybe a bunker isn't visible all the time or you know what hey it's okay to have a blind shot here and there and um and so what we try to do is we try to strip away a lot of preconceived notions when we go into a construction process and keep our options open and, and let things happen organically. We, we place, for instance, a, a tremendous amount of trust in the, the shapers and the craftsmen who are, um, you know, on the, on the equipment working for, working for King Collins. And um, basically, Tad and I try to give them a framework within which to work. And then, you know, we, we task them with a lot of the, you know, creativity that goes into it. And what that does is, is that keeps a guy engaged because he feels like he's, he's got a hand mm -hmm. in it and he does. And, and furthermore, um, a lot of the best things in, in golf construction sort of happen by accident. I mean, you might think, for instance, that you want to make a, a, a cut or a swale on the left-hand side of the green, but then once the dirt starts to get moved around, you know, maybe the shaper realizes that that actually might work better to be a, a ridge or a mound on the left side. And maybe it's completely different than what you envisioned. And, and he starts working on it and, and turns out something really cool. So you have to have a flexibility with the construction process and just kind of let things unfold. And it, I, I think one good analogy sort of like, you know, Sam Sneed talked about holding a golf club a golf club you know you don't want to grip it so tight that like imagine like a burden a bird in the hand i mean you, you don't want it to fly away but you also don't don't want to hurt it and so that's kind of like how we approach a golf course construction project we we have a handle on it we're we're gripping it but we're not constraining it we're not constraining the creativity of the guys on site let them roll and you know 99 percent of the time if they build something that's kind of in the framework of what we're looking for we're going to like it but you know there's always going to be adjustments here and there you just kind of tweak 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 things until you can't tweak anymore and and then that's the end of the golf hole and it gets grassed and it's done so it's just a constant massaging very natural organic process um that, that goes into building holes and when you do that without a bunch of preconceived constraints you're going to have a much more interesting fabric at the end in my opinion for sure that's actually interesting when i think of i don't know like maybe 
just design in any any category is that it's kind of always the same thing. Like being a graphic designer, that's what I went to school for. That's what I did for a very long time. And now I just happen to be working in golf and hosting a podcast, which is wild. I was telling Nick that. Um, but this idea of I've had bosses in the past where, all right, you're a designer. This is exactly what I want you to do. Here's a sketch. I want you to come back with exactly this. And I'd go back to my desk and I would design and I would do the thing. And then I would come back and show them and be like, nope, that, that wasn't what I was thinking. Try again. And then there's just like back and forth of not letting that other person who is, you know, part of the team bring some level of thinking to the table. But I like how you guys say that, like, hey, like this, these are the the guardrails. Do your thing, which I think is really powerful. And even for me, like as I've gotten older in this field, that idea of letting the people who are part of your team be creative and bring their perspective to the table just makes the product better. It always does because there'll be things that you never thought about, which come to the top because, you know, you're letting someone else's perspective come in. So that's cool. Yeah, there's no question. I mean, I think that, you know, we have, we're also playing a long game too. I mean, we're trying to build a a tight knit group of people who are going to be loyal to King Collins and have fun working on our projects. And the more, freedom and latitude they have um you know the better the projects are, are going to be as a whole not just the one we're one or two we're working on at a time but you know i'm thinking two three years down the road too and um the fact of the matter is the best golf courses of the last 25 30 years have been built using some version of a design build method where kind of a tightly knit crew built built golf courses and um it's just a very fluid process. It's not like building a building or building a house. I mean, you can't, you don't play a golf course on top of an architect's drawing table, 2000 miles away. I mean, you, you play it on the, on the ground where it was massaged and shaped in and, and, and refined. So totally. it's all about that process. And I mean, I think, you know, that's where Nick and I and, and others in this industry have some overlap and that there's a, a craftsmanship and a, you know, kind of a creative spark that, that runs through that's shared in, in different disciplines. And I think one thing I was thinking about when you were talking early on, you know, Andy Johnson um, from the fried egg has talked about sort of there's a, a craftsmanship type of culture, I think, that's going on in the country right now. And that's shared in, in golf. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I noticed that in, in lots of different um, areas in, in in what we do and some of the people we work with with logos and art pieces and all kinds of stuff. And that's one of my favorite things about golf and about Sweetens Cove is all these different people I've met, like getting to meet Nick and all these other people that I was hoping to see at the PGA show, you know? For sure. Yeah. It's so funny. Like when I think of, when I think of Sweetens or even like the new course uh, in NASA up in New York that I got to check out this summer, when I think of those types of experiences and maybe this is just me as a golfer, there's something about those types of courses in your design approach to McKenzie that I'm like, that's the bag that you take. Like they just, they, they feel like they go hand in hand for me, which I think is interesting. Just be, there's some, there's something about the experience where there is a, an approach to the design where it's not so like, it just feels natural and like not overly complicated um, and very laid back, which I've always found really cool. Um, and Nick, I had a question for you. Cause you mentioned this idea of, Anyone who gets a McKenzie bag, which I, I think some people know, but maybe not everyone, but there is full creativity. Like there is not a, these are your three options. Like if I go to Dick's Sporting Goods and buy a bag, they've got these three bags in the rack. That's all I get. The end, it comes in these three patterns. You get three, these three stitches. 
is it a full blank canvas? You can do whatever you want. Like what, like where does the line stop? That's a good question. Yeah. So all of our golf bags are, are made to order. So to your point, you know, we don't have uh, really any, you know, set styles that are, you know, you can pick between A, B and C. We have some ready to ship stuff, but for the most part, absolutely everything's made to order. And uh, yeah, I mean, you can kind of choose what you want. And like I kind of alluded to earlier, when our, our customers have an idea that we haven't tried before, uh, our reaction is not, no, we don't do that. Our reaction is, uh, let's see how we can figure this out where, um, you know, we make sure that the bag is going to last a long time and be functional and, um, but still incorporate what it is you have in your head that you would like to see, um, in a golf bag. And, you know, you were kind of talking about the, the sort of simplicity of, of our bags and maybe how that feels natural on some of, uh, some golf courses, including King Collins projects, you know, that's a big part of sort of our ethos and what McKenzie started as and what we kind of continue to try and, um, honor is that, you know, it, it, it seemed, it's like deceptively simple. You know, you have this blank canvas that you can do anything to, but at the end of the day, it's a very well-made golf bag with a single divider. A lot of times a single pocket, a single strap. It's, it's kind of like, you know, take the things you need and leave the things that you don't. And it sort of enables you to uh, enjoy the golf experience uh, that is, you know, playing a new golf course and soaking all, all of that in and, you know, being present with your friends. It, it's sort of, I think, um, it, it enables you uh, in a, it, by, by simplifying kind of the things you're taking with you to be present in the, in the moment. That's interesting. Do you think, because when I think of design and this idea of, of classy design, do you think, and this is for you, Rob, as well, um, there are obviously certain things, and apparel is probably one of the categories that goes the furthest, where today you're wearing it's, it's hoodies or tapered pants or whatever, and then next year people are wearing pleats or back, or I'm just making up examples here, right? But this idea of, of timeless design, um, when you guys create the things that you make, you know, for yourself, for consumers, are you thinking about it from a, hey, this needs to stand the test of time? Or are you just addressing the needs for today? Because, for example, in course design, I don't, at least for me as a golfer, when I look at a hole, I am not thinking of how is this hole designed to meet the needs of a golfer for today? Um, like, like, does that thought process go into designing a golf course is it, or is it just like do it and then knowing that like it will always be what it is? Does that make sense? I think it definitely does. I mean, I think all, um, all great architecture can be traced back to the lessons from, from Great Britain and Ireland and, and places like the old course and that there's certain Im impenetrable, impenetrable truths um, in those types of layouts that, that can be applied and in an infinite number of ways in a, in a new course. And so basically what we try to do is take those truths, those maxims and, and apply them to um, golf courses in a, in a unique way. We kind of just put, put these ideas in a blender and, and spit them out. And, and hopefully it takes a little bit of a new form where it, it, it shakes people's people up a little bit and gives people a new perspective. And I think that's a little bit along the lines of what Nick was talking about, like, it's not just three options that their, their bags have. I mean, they're, once you have all the combinations in place, like if you looked at a mathematical calculation of it, I mean, there's 
probably hundreds of millions of different combinations you could have. And so I think for designing a golf course too, that's, um, you know, very similar, you know, you can just keep, keep that open mind. Like I was talking about before. And as long as you kind of keep it tethered to the ground and in the, in the things that you know, to be true about what a fundamentally good golf course is, you know, the, the final form of it can, can take a lot of different paths. That's interesting. Um, do you guys have, side note, do you guys have a favorite hole? Like if your favorite hole of all time on any golf course anywhere in the world, like what do you have a one or a handful? Yeah, I do. I mean, I think, you know, from an architectural standpoint, I think that one of the, you know, for someone who's just kind of very you know, interested in architecture, maybe wants to learn more, I, I would go out, go on to Amazon or something and buy Alistair McKenzie's Spirit of St. Andrews. And um, he, he has a diagram of the 14th hole at St. Andrews there. And um, the lessons that are in that that hole, it's a par five and the, the multiple routes in, in how it's a sort of a democratic form of golf where the architect's not dictating how to play, but it's up to the user to, to define, define what the best route is for them and, and consider it in the, in the form of a match and what their opponent's doing and, and just all the risk reward scenarios that go into that. Um, you know, I think that a lot of great architecture can kind of be taken out of that lesson and that diagram that he has there and, um, and be put forth elsewhere. So, I, you know, that's obviously one of my favorites, but I'd like to hear what, what Nick thinks too. Yeah. Nick, what's your hole? Well, I'm fortunate to live very close to Banded Dunes, so we get to go down there a few times a year, and there's an awful lot of very fun golf holes to choose from there. The one that just quickly came to mind, though, the third hole at Old McDonald, uh, always stands out to me. You have this crazy blind tee shot kind of with the, the ghost tree on the top of the hill, and you mm -hmm. crest the hill and can see the whole golf course, and the fairway's got all these dimples and ripples in it, and you kind of your ball can kind of land in a goofy spot and then you kind of hit down to this like punch bowl-esque green i just think that hole always stood out as like whoa you kind of have you kind of get hit with like a when you hit this blind shot don't know what to expect come over the hill and see it that one that stands out to me so that's just where my mind went but yeah that that tree it's so funny like that tree because a tree is one of the things where like i don't know how old that tree is and how long it's been there but to think that that tree is such an iconic part of that the entire design of that hole, which is, it's really cool. Yeah, it definitely is. But all nine holes at Sweetens Cove are pretty good too. I, I must admit. <laughs> yeah. I have yet to, I have yet to go to Sweetens. Are there differences? So I've, I played in S I didn't play all the holes cause I was, I was there late in the day and I played, um, maybe I got to get to seven and then the sun went down and it got really, really dark. But from a design perspective, um, Sweetens and Ness, are they, completely night and day from a design perspective or are there some similarities you know, in terms of how you guys approach the courses like what are what are the consistent and one of the different elements between those two out of curiosity well it in s we we had sort of a, a very much of a um charge from the client to you know build something sort of sweetens-esque meaning you know bold sort of audacious features um lots of strategy you know a course that you would it take a lot of time to digest a place that you, one day you might get a bad bounce on the same shot as you mm -hmm. the next day you get a good bounce that kind of thing 
um, you know, a lot of rub of the green, um, ground game, et cetera. And, and so we, we applied, you know, a lot of the same stuff or similar things that we did at Sweetens to, to that project. Um, I would say overall though, you know, we look at each piece of land as like basically asking us a question and it's our responsibility to come up with a, the, the right answer. And, and, you know, that's part of its design, what the best, um, you know, the way it should look and feel, you know, for the way that, you know, what the client needs. Um, we did a nine hole course uh, in Memphis called Overton Park, and that's quite a bit different than, than Sweetens Cove or an S um, in a lot of ways. And that was a way for us to, you know, expand our creativity and show a little bit of a different side. And, and Landman, our project out in Nebraska, um, you know, asked a different set of questions. And um, with each one, we have to to figure out what the best answer is and and, and try to deliver, um, you know, a set of a set of greens and bunkers and, and, and you know, hazard placement, et cetera, that, that fits that land and, and does what that land is asking us to do for the ideal answer and um you know each place is different and, and we try to you know expand our creativity and expand our palette on each one in other words i don't want um people to ever think that we just went from one project to the next and did the same thing over and over and over and that that would be a abdication of our responsibility uh, as architects um you know each, each project's different and we try to you know try to do something a little different on each one mm -hmm. and so you know, while Ines and Sweetens shared a lot of similarities, you know, the other ones we've worked on are, you know, expand and are, are have, have a uniqueness in their own special way. Yeah, that's super fun. Would you say that there is, because I'm just, I keep going back to these parallels with design, because some designers are very fluid, like they are chameleons and they can kind of like ebb and flow depending on the project and the client and the need. Um, but then some designers have like a, an iconic, like this is, you know, this is my mark. This is kind of like my signature thing. Is there one, you know, like si signature thing that you guys try to do? And maybe you don't always do it in like big amounts, but there's a way that you shape a green or a way that you, you know, that turn a fairway, things like that, that you, that you carry, you know, consciously or, or subconsciously when you design courses, Rob, what do you think? I, th I think that, uh, you know, the ground game and in incorporating that is, is always important. Um, we, we like the concept of being able to play away from certain hole locations and bring the ball around to the hole along the ground. I mean, that's something that McKenzie talked a lot about in Spirit of St. Andrews. And, and those are concepts that, that we try to carry from, from one place to the next. I think there's a sort of an artistic flair and a, uniqueness that I think we bring to our, our projects. Um, and that takes a different form, um, you know, from one project to the next, but, but, um, I think that we're, you know, like to push the envelope a little bit, but, um, you know, we're also comfortable inhabiting a, a pretty, you know, down the, down the middle place as well in spots. I mean, some of the holes we did at Overton park, for instance, in Memphis, I mean, you know, those look like holes that have just, you know, been laying there for a hundred years. And, you know, it's, I guess, again, it's just each, each one's different and there's not really a, a singular answer that, that you can take from one to the next. It's more just a sort of philosophical things that, that you bring that might be a similarity.
One of the things that like stands out to me about Sweetens is kind of the like playground aspect to it. It just feels like I'm just having fun the entire time. And a few of the times I've been there, I've had an opportunity to play some of the like alternate routings. You know, you've kind of set up the course where there's all these like sort of fun holes hidden within the golf course, hitting from different spots to different greens coming in at different angles. Um, you know, as it kind of relates to, I guess we were talking about kind of like your calling card for lack of a better term. When you, were you thinking about that? Like when you design sweetens or, you know, when you do that, are you thinking about that as you're laying out the courses or was that just a result of, you know, was that figured out after the fact? Well, that's a, that's an awesome question. And, and basically what happened with that is, is, um, you know, the philosophy going in was, or our hypothesis going in was, okay, we got this flat piece of land, this old dilapidated golf course in the middle of nowhere in Tennessee, it's nine holes. This thing has to be quirky. It has to be different for the fact that it was a nine hole golf course meant that it had to be extreme in terms of the amount of variety that it, it presented um, from, from one hole to the next one round to the next. So it could never get old mm -hmm. on a nine hole course. I mean, you really can't, you know, one dull hole or, or one kind of off hole on a nine hole course is like, to me, the equivalent of four or five holes on an 18 hole course that, that are uninspiring. So we were under a lot of pressure to just build as much variety into it as possible. And what you just described with the, you know, kind of Illuminati routing the, the off, off the menu holes that, that aren't holes that aren't holes that people have, have played that's one of my favorite things about Sweetens Cove is those weren't necessarily designed by us. Those were discovered by our members and, um, and people like you, people who come out and play and being, as it turns out, you know, one of the owners <laughs> that wasn't the original intention, but one of the owners and operators of Sweetens for the last, um, gosh, almost eight years now. Um, you know, one of the things I've realized and one of the trends that's going on in golf right now is people are more and more interested in, in doing things like what you just described, Nick, it's, it's sort of a desire to have these immersive experiential situations in golf where it's not just a 10 minute tea time interval. Okay. You know, like just the old golf factory kind of thing that, that we mm -hmm. kind of grew up playing and Sweetens has taught me that and, and you and other people have, have taught me that um, by, by the way you've interacted with that landscape. And um, I've observed that and more and more we're putting into our, our, our future proposals and, and courses that we hope to build, things that we've got proposals in for right now, you know, elements that are similar to what you described that, that, kind of create a grounds for golf that's very democratic and it, it, it asks people to discover and search and figure it out on their own okay and it's non-dictatorial in, in the you know in, in, a, in a sense and um we're i'm more and more trying to expand my creativity and, and our vision to um breed situations like that and uh, for some clients, you know, it can be on, on an extreme almost where it's almost a total golf free for all others. It's, you know, mostly more typical, but you can kind of throw in a few elements that, that 
bring that out. And so I'm always striving to create, have more experiential sort of immersive golf situations that, that can unfold in the, in, on a golf course and, and sweetens and you guys who found all those holes have, have helped change my thinking on that. Yeah, that's super fun because there's been many times where I've stood on a and you're right the the tone and the personality of certain courses, they it's it's it varies from place to place. But you know every golfer has probably had a moment where they're playing a course that they play a lot and it you know they're like hey it'd be actually really fun if if I can just hit from here into that green like that's an actually that would be a fun little shot. Um, and it's fun to have a golf course um, you know that that has that in mind because to your point it is interesting when you think of a. 18 hole versus a nine hole experience that nine hole one it has to be tight because if the holes are boring like you're not going to come back or if there's only one way to play it you know to pay based on your pin, pin positions it, it changes the whole game which i think is fun but i do want to talk about when you like skill levels of golfers and there are beginners and you know your average weekend person and there's like a you're like a player player and you know things things in between to a pro do you think that through through design Obviously, everyone has a right and is open to playing the game. But in terms of, hey, like this is kind of like our sweet spot. It's it's this type of golfer that thinks about the course or the game. This type of way is kind of like our core consumer. Do you guys keep that in mind or is it kind of like whoever you are, or whatever you want? Like, it's all good uh, for us. It's whoever you are, like all are welcome. You know, I, I don't think we are uh, going after any particular type of golfer. You know, we make golf bags for all kinds of people with all kinds of skill sets from all different walks of life. So um, we certainly don't. And I would imagine Rob doesn't either. I think that's kind of the, that's the golden ticket in golf course architecture is making a course that's fun for a beginner, but challenging mm -hmm. for uh, 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 a better golfer. So I, I right. would say, is that, is that ring true, Rob? <laughs> Yeah, I think it definitely does. I mean, that, that's that's exactly right. I mean, I was thinking about when you were asking that, uh, Andrew, about the old cliche that you would hear in, in golf architecture, you know, the, the pros standing on the first tee and he's opining, you know, saying, oh, this will, you know, play great for the amateur as well as, you know, for me, the pro. <laughs> and of course, you know, 99% of the times these arrogant proclamations were fell flat on their face but um, <laughs> that is something we we truly strive for and um you know also i would say too it's just like from an operational standpoint at sweetens cove um you know we always talk internally about kind of expanding the tent so to speak and um you know the more people we have under the tent you know i've, I've mentioned before you know creating the Sweetens Cove brand along with Patrick and, and my other partners, um, you know, that was like basically trying to build an army and, and, you know, the more people that were in the army or under the tent, whatever, you know, analogy you, you want to use, um, th that's kind of how we, we looked at it. And it was, you know, all come one, come all kind of mentality. And I think that that can be applied to golf architecture as well. And that, you know, you truly are trying to expand the tent and, and make a golf course accessible and interesting to, to all types of in all classes of players. And there are certain architectural tricks and things you can do to to achieve that. Yeah, that's awesome. Now, back to the writing or or, or, or walking conversation. Uh, what's your preference? Nick, you go first. My personal preference is definitely to walk. I 
I uh, I find I like play better. Like it's a better speed for soaking up what's going on and um, you know playing with friends and talking. But I don't have like some sort of vendetta against golf carts or anything like that. You know, <laughs> there's <laughs> sometimes you know if you're drinking more than a beer or two, it's nice to have a cup holder handy. So um, and there's certain golf courses that are kind of challenging to walk. So sometimes the golf cart's the move. So I I ride in a cart, you know, relatively often, I guess, but I definitely uh, prefer to walk. If given the choice, I would choose to walk. And I also kind of honor whoever I'm playing with. If they have a strong preference, I, I'm happy to defer to that. So that's, I guess, where I kind of stand. Totally. What about you, Rob? I'm in a very similar place there as you, Nick. I mean, I would prefer to walk. I mean, some of the, you know, best rounds I've ever had have been walking. I mean, I think about, you know, I had a chance to play Cal Club and going around walking that place. I mean, it's unbelievable, you know, <laughs> going to, to, to here and there um, and walking is is um you know very important and, and and fun and when we every golf course we design walking is at the forefront of the consideration i was working on a plan last night i mean everything i do is like i try to get the tees and the greens as close as possible together i mean i want the i want the tees like right on top of the greens basically mm-hmm. kind of old classic features where you don't have these super long walks a lot of connectivity no wasted space um things that are that are that are conducive to walking i mean it's we moved heaven and earth to make landman walkable right for extremely sure. Im- important to me um but I, I will say that i'm i'm not I, i'm an evangelist about it in a design sense but in a um practical everyday sense i'm not like i ride in a cart a lot i mean um it's not because I don't like walking, but it's just because of, you know, perhaps the reality of the situation. Like for instance, some of the most fun times I've ever had at Sweetens Cove are in the afternoon with, you know, six or eight friends and we're all in golf carts and just we're flying and going as fast as we possibly can to get as many golf holes in as we can. Right. I, this is going to sound, you know, somewhat sacrilegious probably, but um, I've been to Sand Hills a couple of times and, you know, that would be, without a doubt, one of the best walks in golf, but it's such a rare invite. And, um, each minute on property feels so precious that I've never actually walked the course. And the reason is, is because my goal, I, the guy I play with is like one of the fastest golfers I've ever played with. And they always put him off the first tee time when he's there. And the goal is to play as many holes as you possibly can. (laughs) we're like trying to get to 72 holes in a day. Right. Can't do that there if you're walking. And like, if I walked around, that means that like, I may only get to like 54 holes, (laughs) (laughs) you know, like I'm just, so I would love to walk sand hills, but it's like, I know I'm only going to go there for like once every five years, maybe if I'm lucky. And when I'm there, I'm like trying to just eke every bit of time I can out of that whole experience. So you know, if I would love to, I, I prefer walking, but, but, you know, I, I also have had a lot of fun riding carts too. Yeah, that is actually true because you're, you're totally right to, to truly like embrace the round and embrace the nature and the world around you and not rush walking is the best way. But there are some courses where like, for example, Bandon, I would, I mean, they don't have carts there. Not, I mean, I guess you can, but most people walk, do they have carts? Is it mandatory walking there or no? 
I think if you, uh, you know, need a cart for health reasons, they, they will you, oblige. Yeah. But for the most, it's it's all. If you see a cart out there, it stands there's out a like a sore thumb. Yeah, right. But there's something interesting about how, because obviously with design and putting in, you know, paved cart paths and stuff, that does add extra cost to building a golf course and more maintenance and. I've noticed that there are some, and Rob, you can probably speak to this, but there are more courses nowadays that are putting in those natural car path trails that don't feel like this, you know, just distraction to the to the the, the overall design of the course, right? There's no question. I, I'll I'll say too that I think that um, you know one thing that's a little bit rare and or incre- increasingly rare in our game is, is the use of caddies, and and if you've ever had a chance to use a caddy that that can really enhance an experience and there's sort of a camaraderie that you develop between yourself in your in your caddy and and that's a that's a ton of fun and um you know one of the things i've impressed on on the owners at landman or the is the importance of having a caddy program because Landman mm-hmm. is is it is it is walkable. The greens and tees are very close together. I've walked that course hundreds of times, uh, you know, during construction, uh, maybe more. But it's not an easy walk. I mean, that's just the nature of of, of that of that course. And I think that, um, you know, again, going back to the design of that course, I was adamant, and Tad was too, about it being walkable. But the re- in in reality, in practical sense, um, they're needs to be a robust caddy program there too. And so, you know, Will's mm-hmm. going to be working on that to to implement that. And I think that's, that's really important. And I think that they'll, you'll see more people walking it and you'll be able to soak up more and you'll, you'll see more, you'll see more of the details of the course. Um, if you walk it, than if you're just flying past it in a cart. So it, it's that's actually true. Really important that courses be walkable. So, right. I always wondered, obviously human, human power is, is not cheap. And then the, the core or the amount of investment that you'd have to put into creating a proper caddy program and the amount of investment that you'd have to put into buying a fleet of golf carts and paving 18 holes. Like, is it an obvious, is it obvious to say that the golf carts are more expensive or, or is that crazy? What do you guys think? I don't know that the golf carts are necessarily more expensive. A lot of times I think it's probably more the reality of um, finding people who would want to do it and, um, for sure you know kind of ma- maintaining a, a good group of people to to do that job consistently um some places are a lot easier than others um i will say that you know caddying can be a very lucrative profession i mean there's i've heard stories recently i don't remember the exact number but there was a guy who went and caddied out at Bandon Dunes and he was doing a bunch of loops and stuff, but he was making like twelve, fifteen thousand dollars a month or something. I mean, all cash. I mean wow, wow. At the right place. I mean, you can make some serious serious money. That's not bad. No, that's really good. And <laughs> you know, it it's in the right place. And you know, place like Bandon Dunes, they nail it and and you know, I, I hope that in time, you know, Landman can have a, a robust program too. And you know, there's a lot of places that have them. It's just finding the right, you know, you got to have a good caddy master too, I think, to help with like, mm-hmm. you know, kind of staffing, you know, because you're, you're going to, the reality is you're going to have like a, a, a lot of turnover with that. And, um, and so, you know, finding a good person to kind of manage that is, is important. 
Totally. One last question. And obviously, this is my last design question. I probably don't want to do any more design questions. When you talk about uh, just design, my perspective of how you guys design courses is that most of the elements, the trees, the plants, all of those things are, are natural. Are there pieces that you guys bring in or is it all like we only use what's there? Most of the time you would just use what's there. Um, but there are interesting applications where that's not the case. Um, for example, we're building a, a new 18 hole course in, in Lubbock, Texas right now called red feather. Mm -hmm. It's basically like a gigantic 135 acre square, more or less flat field. Um, and, and our client fortunately has this land next door that has like 300 or something very mature trees that are beautiful and so we're going to incorporate those into that landscape to you know help help it give it a level of maturity and so forth that maybe it wouldn't have had otherwise and um but in the for the most part i think you kind of work with what's there but but sometimes you have a client like brad out there in lubbock where it, it's reversed a little bit Nick, for you guys, do you see McKenzie as a brand? Like you've got a solid timeless core, which I think is really awesome. But in terms of how far you'd, you'd want to like expand that McKenzie bubble, like, do you guys like keeping it pretty tight and we're just going to, you know, do this and you know, this is kind of like our core or do you see that bubble expanding and getting bigger over time? Yeah, I think, uh, a little over three years ago, we, uh, we bought a knit head cover business called for you, F O R E E W E sort of a hilariously terrible pun, but, uh, it's a, it's a good, it's a good, uh, good little business. And we felt like it was a complimentary product to our golf bags, you know, really high quality handmade, um, quality materials, very customizable and kind of the head cover style sort of complements the bag style. So that was something we did to expand a little bit and that's, that's gone well, but I would say we're, we're, pretty cautious and careful about uh, product line extension and anything we do to, to make sure at the end of the day, what we, uh, what we want is a, a product that lasts an extremely long time and that, um, you know, sells itself for that reason and that people are, are happy with and proud of. So we don't just throw things together and sell them. You know, if we're going to come up with a new product, uh, we want to be sure that um, you know, it's right on par with our golf bags in, in terms of those metrics I just mentioned. Second, the, uh, the four of you, those are awesome. We, we've carried those at Sweetens along with the McKenzie bags. And I'm a big fan of both. I've got, um, actually a McKenzie bag and I've got one of the four you head covers too. So <laughs> oh, I need to check those out. Yeah. I'm actually going to the website right now. Oh, so is it, it's just head covers. Nice. Yeah. It's just, uh, like old school kind of knit style head covers sick when the uh when the ground is not frozen what's the first course you guys plan on playing or nick you're playing right now i mean is it cold in portland uh yeah i was gonna say it's i mean it's you've got to be willing to go the ball's plugging a little bit but uh <laughs> we, we get to play golf year round for the most part and oh man i'm actually headed headed to bandon in a in a couple of weeks where you can play year round there as well so i'm Fantastic. i'm fortunate Rob, where are you, by the way? I'll, I'll probably get out to Sweetens at some point, although I don't get to play as much as I used to. Um, but, you know, I, I would say sometime in maybe February, sometime I'll, I'll, I'll hopefully get to go play at Sweetens, I, I guess. Nice. I'm sure, what is it, like a nice 50s, 40s round? Not not too bad, not too, not too cold. You know, Chattanooga area weather can be 
you know, pretty good in the winter, it can be really tough. Like today was a super nice day. I mean, it probably was 50 degrees and sunny here, but tomorrow is going to be freezing and cold and miserable. So <laughs> it just depends right. on the weather. We actually just covered the greens at the golf course. We're going to be closed for about five or six days because of low temperatures. We have a, a Bermuda grass on the greens that can't stand the super cold. So you got to cover it and protect it. And, um, you know, we're closed. We're, we're open when, when, when we, when the weather allows, we're, we're open every day, but Christmas and Thanksgiving, if weather would allow it. For sure. Cool. Well, that's it. I won't keep you guys too much longer, but yeah, that was fun. It was nice to learn more about you guys and, um, hope to see you out there somewhere. Sweetens, Bandon. I don't know. One of those courses. We'll have to get out there and hit, hit some balls around. Andrew, please come down to Sweetens. I'd love to have you, um, bring a group down shoot me a text or an email I'd love to set it up for you same to you sure. Nick, anytime you want to play thank you appreciate that nick let's go you already got you already got two of us all we need is two more or one more <laughs> <laughs>